This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear brothers and sisters, welcome back to the first. And alhamdulillah, rabbil ameen, we hit a milestone now. This is officially our 40th episode of the first. Walillah alhamd. And we are going into Ramadan. And inshallah ta'ala, we will resume the series immediately after Ramadan. And I pray that all of you are looking forward to the Meeting Muhammad series as well as the Qur'an 30 for 30, which will be seerah-centric inshallah ta'ala. So again, if you've been a part of this series, then inshallah ta'ala, this Ramadan will be particularly enjoyable to you. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it from you and from those that you love. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us all for our shortcomings. Allahumma ameen. And the Sahabi that we're talking about today is directly tied to, of course, Sadaqah, infamously tied to Sadaqah. He is absolutely one of my favorite companions of the Prophet And before we talk about him, I want to remind everyone, inshallah ta'ala, that we have the Greet Ramadan with Sadaqah campaign. And this is to support the work that we've been doing, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, with your support, where we have been able to consistently put out free resources, alhamdulillah, whether that's in the form of video series or curriculum or whatever it may be. And uh, we need your support, inshallah ta'ala. We've been grateful throughout the entire uh, process of growth to really be able to say, alhamdulillah, that we've had the support of our community. So please, inshallah ta'ala, amongst the various causes that you will support this Ramadan, go ahead and from now, plug in, inshallah ta'ala, your support for yaqeen this Ramadan, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So make sure whatever it is that you sign up for, inshallah, however the amount is, inshallah ta'ala, or whatever the amount is, make sure that you sign up, inshallah ta'ala, uh, before you finish this lecture, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Now, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I guarantee you that there is so much that you don't know about him beyond the sadaqah. And I want to start, inshallah ta'ala, with his background, as we do with every companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that we cover. First and foremost, before Islam, his name was actually not Abdurrahman, but it was Abdu Amr or Abdul Ka'ba. Okay? And we know that the Prophet ﷺ used to change the names of those who had names that were contradictory to Islam. He would not change everyone's name وسلم, when they became Muslim, but if there was something inherently uh, negative about their name, something that was pessimistic, had a bad meaning, or you know, included uh, being a servant to anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the Prophet would change your name. And Rasulullah gave him the most beloved of names to Allah. As he said وسلم, that the most beloved of names to Allah are Abdurrahman and Abdullah. So he named him Abdurrahman and his, uh, his kunya, uh, which is his nickname, uh, was Abu Muhammad. So we are here inshallah ta'ala with Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abu Muhammad, a wealthy, exceedingly handsome, dignified, um, you know, pleasant man, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. If you looked at Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, everything about him was absolutely stunning, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that was something that would even continue beyond Islam. And of course, he would be even more beautified by his Islam, by his faith. As far as his tribe is concerned, he is also from the tribe of Banu Zuhra. And we know that this was the tribe of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas anhu, and this was also the tribe of the uh, the mother of the Prophet وسلم, Amina bint Wahab. So two of the 10 promised paradise are related to uh, the Prophet وسلم, through his mother by being from Banu Zuhra. So it's a powerful tribe. 
Um, and that's, of course, where his father is from. His mother, is, her name is Ashifa, um, and uh, we don't have much about her. She is from the children of Abdul Abd uh, ibn al-Harith, the children of Abd ibn al-Harith. As far as his connection to other tribes is concerned, uh, we know that Abdurrahman was married to multiple uh, women before Islam, and this connected him to multiple tribes within Quraysh. So he had a powerful position, and of course, he was extremely uh, wealthy. And he is one of those that accepted Islam at the hands of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So since we're now on the ninth of the 10 promised paradise within this series, uh, let's summarize how many of them belonged to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So we have Abu Bakr himself, obviously. We have Talha, was Zubair, Uthman ibn Affan, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, and some of the narrations suggest Abu Ubaidah, who we talked about last week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu accounts for more than half of Al-Ashar Mubashirin, the 10 promised paradise. And subhanAllah, it also shows the wisdom and the positioning of Abu Bakr that when these people heard about the Prophet wasallam, many of them went to Abu Bakr anhu. So he was searching out for people to tell them about the Prophet wasallam, and people were going to him knowing his wisdom anhu, and his positioning in society and his closeness to the Prophet wasallam. Abdurrahman ibn Awf anhu, has the unique experience of meeting a monk, not in Syria, in Asham, but meeting a monk in Yemen. Now, remember, Rihla Tashita'i wa Saif, you had the winter trip and you had the summer trip that Allah talks about that were the famous trade routes of the people of Mecca. And so you have all of these stories of the Sahaba meeting monks, people that were particularly Christian monks that were awaiting or, or, or speaking about the coming of a prophet from Mecca. And they would come back and they would find that the Prophet wasallam had come out. In the case of Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he was in Yemen on a business trip and he was a famous merchant anhu. And while he was in Yemen and he was with one of the seniors in Yemen, uh, this elder in Yemen introduced him to a monk. And when he introduced himself to the monk, the monk said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Mecca. And he said, and what are you here for? He said, I'm here for al-tijara. I'm here to trade. I'm here to buy and sell. I'm a merchant. And listen to what the monk said to him. He said, Ala ubashiruka bibishara wahiya khayrun laka mina tijara. Ala ubashiruka bibishara wahiya khayrun laka mina tijara. Shall I not give you a glad tiding that is greater than any type of trade that you can do over here? And he said, what is this bishara that is greater than my tijara? What is the glad tidings that's greater than my trade? He said, a man that will arise from where you just left, that receives revelation from the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And that is the continuation of the way of Isa salam, the way of Jesus, peace be upon him. So Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he comes back to Mecca. And subhanAllah, just like many of the others, he goes to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was a close friend of his. And he told Abu Bakr what happened. And he asked Abu Bakr, have you heard anything? He said, indeed, it is Muhammad ibn Abdullah. It is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he took me to the home of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha that day to embrace Islam. So Abdurrahman ibn Awf is again, one of the first 10 or 15 to accept Islam, who embraced Islam before Dar al-Arqam. 
and who, uh, who, who would know the Prophet ﷺ before the Prophet ﷺ would formally start to gather the people and teach them. And he became one of the students of Darul Arqam as well. One of the things about him is that he maintained his trade routes عنه, he stayed under the radar in Mecca, uh, but he was persecuted. And we see that Abdurrahman ibn Auf was one of those who made the first migration to Abyssinia, the first migration to Al-Habasha, and then came back and he stayed back in Mecca uh, until the migration to Al-Madinah. So last week we talked about Abu Ubaidah anhu, who only made the second migration to Al-Habasha, to Abyssinia. And this week we talk about Abdurrahman ibn Auf, who only made the first migration, the first trip to Al-Habasha, and came back and spent time with the Prophet and waited until the order to migrate to Al-Madinah. Hence he becomes, and I, and I want you to memorize these terms inshallah ta'ala, also from Ashab al-Hijratayn, one of those who has the distinction of being from the people of the two Hijras. The people who migrated twice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And probably his most famous story with the Ansar of the Prophet وسلم, it, and it might be the most famous story of Al-Mu'akha, of how the Prophet وسلم, paired off the Ansar and the Muhajireen, is a story between him and his brother Sa'd ibn al-Rabi'ah. So as we know, when the Muhajirun came to Medina, when those who migrated from Mecca came to Medina, the Prophet وسلم, paired off everyone with a brother from the Ansar and that brother from the Ansar, the helpers of Medina, was to take one of the Muhajireen in and was to care for them and to help them get settled in Al-Madinah. Uh, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, who is used to being a, a wealthy businessman, who is successful his entire life, he was extremely sharp, he was a hard worker, he was very determined, and he knew how to take care of himself. So he's in a vulnerable situation, being a refugee, fleeing persecution, right? Fleeing the persecution of Mecca. And he's with this man who he doesn't know. And Sa'ad says to him, he says, oh, my brother, he says, I am the richest of the people of Medina. Now, by the way, I want to stop here because this is something that's often not spoken about. The Prophet ﷺ had a wisdom for everyone that he paired off with in Medina. Okay, so it wasn't a random pairing off. And you see the wisdom, subhanAllah, when you start to study the personalities from the Ansar and how they match up with the personalities of the Muhajirun. And so uh, Sa'ad was clearly a wealthy man in Medina. He says, I am amongst the most wealthy of Medina. He said, I have two of everything. And he said, you can take anything that you want. He said, I have two gardens. Uh, you can take whichever one of the two gardens that's pleasing to you. And he starts to split his wealth. He says, this is my wealth, take half of my wealth. And he gets to the point where he says that I'm married to two women. And he said, uh, whichever one that you would like to be married to. And of course, this is not the advice of the Prophet ﷺ, right? But this is just, you know, speaking to what Sa'ad was saying to him. He said, whichever one that you want to be married to. He said, I'll go through the process. I'll get divorced. And then after she finishes whatever idda, waiting period, and she becomes halal for you to marry, then you can marry her instead. And Abdurrahman is looking at him and he's offering all of these things. And Abdurrahman was embarrassed by... Uh, you know, his words, his, his generosity, obviously, and, and, and his words and the way that he's basically telling him, look, I, I'm in charge, I'm taking care of you, whatever it is that you want. So Abdurrahman says to him, he says, Barakallahu laka fi ahrika wa fi malika. May Allah bless you with your family and with your wealth. But he says, I have no need for any of that. He said, however, dullani ala suq. The very famous words of Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he said, listen, just show me where the marketplace is. Now, the marketplace was extremely hostile, right? This is not easy for someone to just make their way into the marketplace, especially as a Meccan 
and to suddenly make their way, right? I mean, he's still a refugee. He hasn't even got his feet wet. He doesn't understand Medina yet. But Abdurrahman ibn Auf says, just show me where the marketplace is. I will take care of myself. I'll make my own money and you don't have to worry about me. So he told Sa'id, I want nothing from you. Jazakallahu khaira. I need to take care of myself. Now, the marketplaces were controlled based upon uh, what they would sell. So some of the marketplaces were under uh, the tribe of, um, uh, of uh, some of the Jewish tribes that used to exist in Medina. Some of them were under certain tribes that might have been hostile to the Muslims. So he's looking at these different marketplaces and he's saying, okay, let me see if I can wiggle my way in. You know, the Souq of Banu Quraida, the Souq of Banu Qaynuqa, all of these different marketplaces. So he goes in there and he he studies it. I mean, he's he is a businessman, عنه, a brilliant businessman. So he first starts off with what is easiest for him to acquire, right? But if he, you know, obviously packages it the right way, puts it together the right way, packages it the right way, then he can start to make a living with that. So he starts off with selling what? He starts off with selling yogurt and butter and dates, whatever he can acquire, he starts to do that. And what he would do, obviously, you know, subhanAllah, if you think about the way that food is sold, right? A lot of it is just about the recipes, putting them together. So he would do things that uh, were popular to the people. So he would mix the yogurt and the butter and the dates. He would make different, uh, you know, things with that. Uh, the famous dish, which is known as hais, where you put it all together. And he started to sell that. And he did well for himself. Then he worked up enough money, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to start trading in horses. And he knew horses from his time in Mecca. Then he, as he as he started to trade horses, Abdurrahman ibn Auf started to sell saddles, horse saddles. So he's getting more and more uh, wealthy in Medina, even though he's new to the place. Abdurrahman ibn Auf was just brilliant like that, subhanAllah. And he said that, you know, there was a time that I could literally look at a stone and I could turn over any stone and I would find gold under it. I mean, he's talking about his own ability and how Allah blessed him to be able to make something out of nothing when it came to business. So it didn't take him long to be able to get married. I mean, to have enough money to get married and start his new life in Al-Madina. So he goes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, the description of it in this narration is that the scent of perfume was all over him. He was dressed nicely. I mean, he's coming to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi looking, looking, uh, you know, happy and handsome. And the Prophet Sallallahu looked at him and he said, Mahyam ya Aba Abdurrahman, which means what a pleasant surprise, oh Abdurrahman. What is it, oh Abdurrahman? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I've got married. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, what did you get married with? Like, what did you give her as a mahar? We're, we just got here and we're just trying to figure out all of these different things. So he said, I gave her the weight of anuwa in gold, which is a portion of gold. I gave her a block of gold. So the Prophet Sallallahu he was happy for him obviously pleased, but he said, Awlim, uh, the very famous narration that we use today when we talk about al-walima, he said, have a walima, have a feast, even if it is with a single sheep. And he said, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you in your family and in your wealth. So Abdurrahman ibn Auf, being the first of the muhajireen that we know, uh, those that migrated from Mecca to have a wedding in Medina, and he did it all by himself, meaning he did not uh, take up the generous offer of uh, of his sponsor and Sa'ad ibn Rabi'a uh, to take some of his wealth or some of his gardens uh, to be able to do that. So this was a man that um, subhanAllah uh, was extremely wealthy and smart and really self-sufficient in the sense like he did not want anyone to do anything for him radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he was not arrogant 
as a result of his wealth or as a result of his position that he had. Rather, we find that he participated in every battle with the Prophet So he did not take a posture of, Ya Rasulullah, I'm, I'm wealthy and I'm not gonna go out and battle or get, get my clothes dirty alongside you. Instead, we find that he maintained a closeness to the Prophet in battle, just like all of the Ashr al-Mubashireen, all of the 10 Promised Paradise, they always found themselves near the Prophet in battle. Uh, seeking to protect the Messenger So some of the stories that we have uh, from him in battle, uh, one of them, if you remember when we talked about Bilal uh, he was the one that took as a prisoner Umayyah ibn Khalaf, uh, who of course used to torture Bilal and Bilal was the one who killed Umayyah ibn Khalaf. And uh, of course, if you remember, um, Abdurrahman ibn Auf's sister, Hind was married to Bilal. So Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the brother-in-law of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We also see that in Uhud, he was one of those that stayed the course. And while he did not suffer the wounds of Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, or lose his teeth the way that Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu lost his teeth biting out the, the helmet that was driven into the face of the Prophet Abdurrahman ibn Awf suffered over 20 wounds on the day of Uhud and some of them were so severe in his leg that he would limp for the rest of his life because of the wounds that he suffered in Uhud uh, in the companionship of the Prophet And we also find that once as the Prophet um, was preparing to dispatch a force, uh, a, a mission and Rasulullah asked for people to sponsor it that Abdurrahman ibn Awf goes home and he brings back 2,000 coins for the Prophet and Rasulullah says, what have you left behind? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I, I give 2,000 for the sake of Allah and I left 2,000 for my family. So giving half of your wealth uh, for an expedition uh, is, is pretty significant. And this is something that he constantly would do with the Prophet in multiple expeditions. The only one that would outdo him in giving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those expeditions was none other than Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we see that the Prophet actually appointed him to lead one of those missions and something significant that happened. Uh, and this was the fifth year of Hijrah that as the Prophet was dispatching him, the Prophet took a turban and he wrapped the head of Abdurrahman ibn Awf himself. I mean, just think of the scene. And as he wrapped the head of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he put his hand on his head radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he made dua for him. And as he made dua for him, he uh, advised him to have taqwa as the Prophet would always do when he sends someone out on a military mission. He advises them to, to be pious, to be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that means on a personal level to always be in a state of preparation, right? To meet your Lord. And also, to, you know, to be mindful of Allah, to not transgress because a lot of things happen in the capacity of battle and the Muslims have to abide by a certain level of ethics. So he is, he put his hand on the head of, the, of, of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, the turban that he wrapped himself on his head and the Prophet made dua for him. He advised him to have taqwa. He advised him to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything that comes his way. And then he told them something very interesting. He said, listen, when you get to those people, invite them to Islam. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you victory, then propose to the daughter of the chief of the tribe. Propose to the daughter of the chief of the tribe. This was a very specific advice that the Prophet gave to him. And of course, this was a way of softening the hearts of tribes that were hostile and bringing people together. So the Prophet gave him that nasiha, gave him that advice. 
And subhanAllah, through that marriage, so Abd al-Rahman ibn Awf did what he was told, and uh, he married the daughter of the chief of the tribe. And through that marriage, his most prominent son was born, and that was Abu Salama ibn Abd al-Rahman ibn Awf, who would go on to become one of al-Fuqaha al-Sab'a, the seven jurists of Medina, who were famous, uh, the, the most famous seven scholars of the Tabi'een in Medina, a student of the greatest of the companions of the Prophet a student of Aisha radiallahu anha. You know, just one example, by the way, um, is that Abu Salama ibn Abdurrahman was the one who asked Aisha radiallahu anha, describe the prayer of the Prophet to me, right? So you think about how crucial the role he plays in the transmission of the deen, and it came from this marriage that the Prophet uh, gave him uh, advice and told him uh, عنه, to marry the daughter of the chief of that tribe. We also find that the famous hadith where the Prophet said, لا تسب أحدا من أصحابي فإن أحدكم لو أنفق مثل أحد, أحد ذهب ما أدرك مد أحدهم ولا نصيفة the Prophet ولا نصيفه the Prophet said that do not curse or revile my companions for if one of you were to spend as much gold as Uhud, it would not amount to as much as a, as, 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 as a handful that uh, one of them spent for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or even half of it. And the context of this hadith, interestingly enough, was actually that an argument took place between Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu. And Khalid was new to Islam. And Khalid radiallahu anhu uh, said some words to Abdurrahman ibn Awf as they were arguing in the wake of a battle. And the Prophet was saying to Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, do not curse my companions or abuse my companions. So of course for us, uh, this applies to all of the Sahaba of the Prophet But when the Prophet spoke to the Sahaba, there were of course degrees amongst the Sahaba and the Prophet always gave preference to as-sabiqoon al-awwaloon, the firsts, right? And those that came uh, to Islam early on, the Prophet ﷺ judged people in accordance with that. And the Prophet ﷺ even told Khalid anhu, do not abuse my companions, that you cannot reach the rank of a person like Abdurrahman ibn Awf anhu. There are other narrations about his virtues um, and they are plentiful, subhanAllah. Uh, and I'll go through some of my favorite and I could literally go all night talking about Abdurrahman ibn Awf and how the companions spoke about this man that was so generous with his wealth and generous with his heart and generous with his spirit. Uh, one of them is the narration of Talha ibn Ubaidillah radiallahu anhu. And I hope you remember that Talha radiallahu anhu was Talha al-Khayr, Talha al-Jood. He was known for his generosity too. So the generous know the generous. The, they compete with each other for khayr, for goodness. And Talha radiallahu anhu was someone that would look for people to give sadaqah to, give charity to. And listen to what he says about Abdurrahman ibn Awf. He said, all of the people of Medina lived off of Abdurrahman ibn Awf's sadaqah in some way. And he explained it, he broke it down. He said one third of the people had debts that they owed to others and Abdurrahman ibn Awf paid them off. So that's one way. If you were burdened by debt, you were one third of Medina and you owed someone else money, Abdurrahman ibn Awf would pay off your debt for you. He said one third of the debts were actually owed to him and Abdurrahman ibn Awf forgave them. So one third he paid off uh, in terms of debts to others. One third were debts that were owed to him and he forgave them. And he said one third was the sadaqah that he gave to people in Medina and he never looked to that person for any repayment again, subhanAllah. So he said everyone in Medina was somehow living off of the sadaqah of this man radiallahu ta'ala anhu. 
and the only one that would beat him at times was again Uthman ibn Affan uh, anhu. So the famous story of Jaysh al-Usra, uh, which was a difficult campaign um, where the Prophet asked who would come forward and Uthman anhu came forward with the most. We see that Abdurrahman bin Awf anhu donated 20 or 200 pounds of gold in Jaysh al-Usra. So there's a narration that says 20, one that says 200. The point is he donated a whole lot of money uh, when the Prophet asked who would finance that campaign. And then listen to this narration. Abdurrahman ibn Awf is the only person that the Prophet confirmed prayed salah behind. Okay, Why do I say that? Because there is ikhtilaf, there's difference of opinion when the Prophet was dying and he came out for his last salah. If Abu Bakr took the imamah or the Prophet continued to be the imam but, the, but they were situated in a way where Abu Bakr remained the imam. And the Prophet was so sick that he came out and sat next to Abu Bakr. There's a difference of opinion about whether Abu Bakr led him or uh, the Prophet ﷺ assumed the imama from Abu Bakr as-Siddiq As for Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he's the only person that we know from the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ prayed and did sujood behind, particularly sajda behind while he was fully healthy. What's the context of this? It was actually in Tabuk. And Bilal uh, looked around, he used to go to the Prophet ﷺ to ask the Prophet ﷺ if he should do the adhan. The Prophet ﷺ would give him the permission. He'd go make the adhan, and then the Prophet ﷺ would come and lead the companions in prayer. This time, uh, the Prophet ﷺ was nowhere to be found. And as they looked around, they realized that the Prophet ﷺ had gone far away at that point, and they did not want to risk the timing of the salah, the window of the salah. So Bilal anhu. And those that were there uh, appointed Abdurrahman ibn Awf to lead the salah, which tells you about his position in the first place. So Bilal got up, he did the adhan and the iqama. Abdurrahman ibn Awf began to lead the salah. Now the Prophet ﷺ came upon them while they were praying jama'ah. Okay? This is an unprecedented situation. I know that it sounds pretty self-explanatory, right? That, yeah, the Prophet ﷺ will just pray behind him, but he had never prayed behind anyone before ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ just assumes a position. It was dark. He just assumes a position and he prays, catching the second rak'ah behind Abdurrahman ibn Awf. And this is, I'm going to read the narration in Arabic because it's so beautiful. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as Abdurrahman ibn Awf did his taslim, qama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yutimmu salata. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stood up to pray his last rak'ah. So imagine you're in salah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And you look and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa stood up to pray another rak'ah. So everyone was terrified, okay? They did not know what to do. And so the Muslims were just completely over, overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. So they started to do, uh, they started to say, SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. Like they thought they messed up because the Prophet ﷺ did not lead them in salah. He prayed behind Abdurrahman ibn Awf. And that one rak'ah of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, can you imagine how long it was to Abdurrahman ibn Awf, who, is, who doesn't know if he sinned at this point or if he made a mistake? So, the Prophet ﷺ finished his salah. فَلَمَّا قَضَى 
النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صلاته أقبل عليهم the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم after he finished his rak'ah he looked towards them and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said أحسنتم you did well <laughs> you did well uh, so he put them at ease صلى الله عليه وسلم and he once again reaffirmed صلى الصلاة لوقتها that you pray your prayers on time so you did well so this was an honor that Allah bestowed upon Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he would lead the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in salah. Now after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we also see um, that Abdurrahman continued radiallahu ta'ala anhu to play an important role in the community. Um, he was entrusted by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and, and taken into shura by Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And there are very specific ways that his generosity continues to shine radiallahu ta'ala anhu. For one, Abdurrahman ibn Awf used to take care of our mothers. He used to take care of the wives of the Prophet He took it upon himself to be the sole provider of the wives of the Prophet after the Prophet passed away. And that's something that's just extremely beautiful that you take it upon yourself to say, our mothers. And you know, think about your own blood mother, right? Someone that took care of your mother. These are our mothers, the wives of the Prophet These are our ummahat. And this is the man عنه, that said, I will care for all of them. They never have to worry about their finances again. It is on me. And it was so well known uh, to the Muslims that Abdurrahman is the one who provides for them. Um, that anytime he sold something and he, he got a portion of it, then he gave a portion of it to the wives of the Prophet Whether it was a big uh, transaction or a small transaction, a part of his salary went to the widows, the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, our mothers. In particular, there, there's a narration that one time <clears throat> he uh, sold a piece of land for 40,000 dinars and he distributed the entire amount among the Banu Zuhra, who were the relatives of the Prophet Sallallahu mother, and among the Prophet Sallallahu wives and the poor amongst the Muslims. And Aisha Radiallahu Anha received that huge amount of money and she said, who sent this money? They said, it's Abdurrahman. And the Prophet remembered that Rasul, I'm sorry, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha remembered that the Prophet said that, oh Aisha, no one will feel compassion towards you after I die except for the righteous. Meaning only a righteous person will rise to the occasion to take care of the wives of the Prophet after he passes away. And that was Abdurrahman ibn Awf. He has the distinction as well of accompanying the Prophet Sallallahu wives on Hajj. So he was in charge of taking the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu on Hajj. And that is just such a beautiful uh, distinction that belongs to him radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he can meet Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala with. There's also of course a very famous story of Abdurrahman ibn Awf when his caravan came back to Medina. Uh, when he would come back from his trade routes, it was always a scene because his camels were loaded with all sorts of goods. And so one day he came back from a trade route and it literally was so loud that the city of Medina started to rumble to where people thought that they were under attack. There were clouds of dust and, uh, you know, the wind was blowing the, the sand and, you know, the people of Medina thought that maybe we're under attack. And instead, what it turned out to be was Abdurrahman ibn Awf's caravan coming back and it was 700 camels, 700 camels, all filled with goods, subhanAllah, coming into the streets of Al-Madinah and uh, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as he was doing that, Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked, she said, what's happening? 
And they said it's the caravan of Abdurrahman bin Auf. He just came back from Asham, and this is his merchandise. This is all that he he gained. And she said, uh, you know, all of this from one caravan. And they said, Ya Umul Mu'mineen, there's 700 camels. And she made the du'a for Abdurrahman bin Auf that there's some narrations that indicate the Prophet made this du'a for him as well. She said, Oh Allah, allow him to drink from the water of Sal Sabil, which is a specific spring in paradise. SubhanAllah, what a beautiful du'a that Saqahullah, uh, may Allah grant him the drink of Sal Sabil, a very specific spring in paradise, just as he has distinguished Allah Ta'ala Anhu in his trade and in his spending for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that let him be distinguished in, in gaining this particular gift of Al-Jannah and drinking from the spring of Al-Sal-Sabil. You find multiple narrations though about him عنه, about how uncomfortable he was with his wealth. And this is from his zuhd, this is from his asceticism. And these narrations are extremely powerful. One of them, he said, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ubutulina, Ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, Biddarra'i fasabarna, Thumabtulina, Bissarra'i ba'dahu falam nasbir. He said, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, We were tested with hardship with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we were patient. But then we were tested with ease and prosperity after the Prophet sallallahu death, and we were not patient. What is he talking about? The first type of patience is the patience of uh, hardship. And that is when something happens to you, you're tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are patient in your response. The second type of patience is the patience of hapsu nafs, of, of a shahwa, the patience of desires. And he's saying that it was much easier to survive adversity than it was prosperity. Because in prosperity, we had a hard time keeping to our promise with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was from his zuhd, from his asceticism, that he was always spending for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of fear um, that he had betrayed that covenant uh, with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There's another narration, and subhanAllah, listen closely, O Ummah. Uh, this is to the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, if the treasures of Persia and Rome are open for you, what kind of people will you become? What kind of people are you going to become? And Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he said, Ya Rasulullah, will be as Allah commanded us. We're going to stay upon the covenant. And the Prophet said, it may be that you become something else. SubhanAllah, you become unrecognizable because of the wealth that enters upon you. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Tatanafasuna, Thumma Tatahasaduna, Thumma Tatadabaruna, Thumma Tatabagaduna. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you will compete with each other, and then you will envy each other, and then you will turn on each other, and then you will hate each other. SubhanAllah, I mean, this is such a, a, a message from the Prophet because he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of poverty for you, O Ummah. I'm afraid that, that the doors of wealth open to you and you kill each other over that wealth. So he said to them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, particularly Abdurrahman ibn Awf who said, Ya Rasulullah, we'll stay upon that which Allah commanded us. He said, you know, it's not like that, that unfortunately as the riches are open to you, first you compete with each other and then you envy one another and then you turn on each other and then you hate one another. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala protect us from uh, being uh, of that prophecy. Allahumma ameen. Uh, there's another narration that Abdurrahman ibn Awf reported that the Prophet Sallallahu said, that uh, shaitan uh, has said that the owner of wealth, sahibul mal, sahibul mal, the owner of wealth, the one who possesses great wealth, will never be safe from me 
by one of three ways. I either will, will, I'll get them through one of three ways. Either I will get them to take money without permission, uh, like they st- basically they take money and wrong, or I will get them to spend it without its right, or I will make it so beloved to that person that he obstructs its rightful use. So either they earn wrong or they spend wrong or they become so intoxicated with, with wealth that they obstruct its being spent right. So shaitan says, the Prophet says that shaitan says, and this is narrated by Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, that I will be able to penetrate sahibul mal, the one who has much wealth, uh, through one of these three directions. So Abdul Rahman ibn Auf who was extremely cautious about the wealth that he had, and one of the things that's narrated about him, عنه, you might remember this from prayers of the pious, that Abdurrahman ibn Awf was seen making tawaf around the Kaaba. And the only dua he made the entire time, Allahumma qini shuha nafsi. Oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. Oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. Oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. So he was afraid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, for the wealth that he had. And that's why it is narrated that Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, despite his great wealth and his the large caravans, that you could not distinguish him in a gathering from the poorest of servants because of his zuhd, because of his asceticism. And there's another narration that Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, it's in Al-Bukhari, that one time uh, someone gave him some food and he was fasting, فَجَعَلَ yabki, And he started to cry, فَقَالْ قُتِلَ حَمْزَ فَلَمْ يُوجَدْ مَا يُكَفِّنُ فِيهِ he said, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was killed and he did not have ma yukaffanu fihi, enough to even cover him in a kafan, illa thawban wahida except for one garment. Wa qutila mus'ab falam yujad ma yukaffanu fihi illa thawban wahida and mus'ab was killed and he had nothing to cover him at his death except for one kafan, one except for the garment that he had for his death. And he said, Laqad khashitu an yakuna. I am afraid that we are amongst those for whom the dunya, the goodness of this world, or, or for whom our reward has been hastened in this world, meaning what is left for us is the punishment of the hereafter. By the way, this is a man who was promised paradise on multiple occasions. And he would cry because he would think about those who suffered, who, who he felt like were better than him and who better than the Prophet And so there's another narration very similar that one time someone served him an extravagant meal of al-khubz wal-lahm, uh, bread and meat. And so he started to cry and he said, Halaka Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam walam yashba' huwa wa ahlu baytihi min khubz al-sha'ir. He said that the Prophet sallallahu passed away from this world and he and his family never once got to eat to their fill of bread or, or, or barley, you know, just to have the, the basics of this world. They never got it. Uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So this was Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the fear that he had because of all that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to him. Some of the other uh, stations of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, one of them is that, uh, of course, as we talked about with Abu Ubaid al-Jarrah, he was the one that solved the discussion about how Muslims should act in the case of a plague in the plague of Amwas. He was the one that intervened in the argument between Umar and Abu Ubaidah when he said, Are you running away from the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by fleeing from the plague? And Umar said, we are fleeing from the decree of Allah to the decree of Allah. Meaning we're not being reckless, we're, we're showing tawakkul and this is how we show tawakkul. By uh, akhdul asbab, by taking the means, we trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And it was Abdul Rahman ibn Awf said, I heard from the Prophet وسلم, uh, what I heard that if a person is in a land and plague breaks out, they should not leave it. And if they're not in that land, then they should not go to it. So it was him that intervened in that regard. We also find that one of the rulings um, of accepting jizya from the Majus, from the Zoroastrians, that was also taken from Abdurrahman bin Auf, who said, I heard it from the Prophet and saw it from the Prophet. So the ruling of jizya from Ahlul Kitab was not specific to Ahlul Kitab, but applied to these other religious communities as well, that they would be protected under the jizya. And then finally, um, you know, when we come to his death, عنhu, we come to his role in the Khilafah of Umar عنhu, and then Uthman عنhu, in the appointment of the Khilafah, uh, of the Khalifa. And so it starts with Umar as Umar appointed his shura and it was the six people left of the 10 promised paradise with the exception of Sa'id ibn Zayd due to him being a relative. Abdurrahman ibn Awf was uh, particularly instrumental in what would transpire next. And Al-Dhahabi rahimahullah ta'ala, he actually says that uh, it is from min aflali manaqibihi from the greatest of his virtues was the way he handled himself on the shura of Umar in choosing the next Khalifa. Abdurrahman ibn Awf immediately disqualified himself from being the Khalifa and instead he waited out to see who he would give his vote to um, in choosing the next Khalifa and when it came down to his vote Abdurrahman ibn Awf went through the streets of the Ummah and he did shura, I mean, he consulted the men, the women, and even the children, asking them who should be the Khalifa, should it be Uthman anhu, or should it be Ali anhu? And after all of that consultation, he took his decision and he gave his vote to Uthman anhu, and Uthman anhu became the Khalifa. Now, in the time of Uthman anhu, it's important to remember that any one of these Ashar Mubashirin, 10 Promised Paradise, had a claim to Khilafah, right? I mean, they're all in this category, this illustrious category of being from the 10 that were Promised Paradise. And one of the narrations is that Uthman who once became sick and he uh, he wrote in his will that uh, Abdurrahman ibn Auf would be his successor, that if he passes away in this illness, that Abdurrahman ibn Awf would be this his successor. So it could have been that Abdurrahman ibn Awf was going to be the Khalifa of the Muslims. And of course, Abdurrahman ibn Awf had a very similar personality to Uthman anhu, known for his generosity, yet his great modesty and humility. And so when uh, when uh, the, they, uh, the man heard, uh, Hamran was his name, he heard that Uthman anhu ordered that, he went to Abdurrahman ibn Awf in the masjid. He found him in the masjid. And he said, Al-Bushra, Al-Bushra. He said, glad tidings, glad tidings. He said, Wama dhak, what is it? He said, uh, Uthman has written that you will succeed him. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf went between the grave of the Prophet and the member of the Prophet meaning he's in the rawda, right? And he said, oh Allah, if it is indeed that Uthman anhu has entrusted me al amr with this uh, matter, fa'amitni qabla. <laughs> Let me die before he dies. I mean, that's powerful, right? Like he immediately said, Oh Allah, if that's the case, if I'm going to be his successor, let me die before he dies. I don't want to be maftoon. I don't want to be tested with that responsibility. And he did not live except for a few months after that. And he passed away due to natural causes before the fitna would break out. 
And before he passed away, he had this dream the night before he passed away. And in his dream, he 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 looks behind him and the entire ummah is behind him. So it was an interesting dream that he shared uh, with some of the Sahaba before he passed away. And Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu describes the scene of his janazah. He said that it was like the whole ummah came to the janazah of Abdurrahman bin Auf. You know, you think about that. How many people were standing in that janazah that Abdurrahman bin Auf had helped, right? If, if all of Medina used to depend upon him in some way, how many people felt truly indebted to him? You know, when someone passes away, you hope that they don't owe anyone anything. You don't find anything of Abdurrahman bin Auf owing anyone anything or hurting um, anyone. And so Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he's looking out at the janazah of Abdurrahman bin Auf and he says, it's like everybody was there. And we know the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that when the people testify as you are passing away, that if they say good about you, wajabat lahul jannah, that jannah has become mandatory. And the opposite is also true. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu looking out at the janazah of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said those words, he said, wajabat lahul jannah. He said, what a sign, like this is jannah being mandatory for him, insha'Allah. And so Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu passes away at the age of about 75 years old. And before he died, he liberated, um, they say hundreds or even thousands of slaves. He donated so much money uh, to everyone that was around. And look at his wasiyah, subhanAllah, how he willed what he still had. He willed 400 dinars of gold for each veteran of Badr that was still alive. Because he loved the Badriyun, because the Prophet loved the veterans of Badr. They were the best of the Sahaba. So he willed that whoever was still alive from the veterans of Badr, then, uh, then they take uh, 400 um, dinars. And then he willed for Ummahat al um, you know, a huge share of money for those that were left from the widows, uh, the wives of the Prophet وسلم, a huge share of money. And they say that SubhanAllah was up to, um, you know, uh, over 400,000, right? I mean, SubhanAllah just, he willed so much money and there are different numbers that are there, but he divided so much of his money uh, with uh, with the wives of the Prophet وسلم, that were left behind. And all of that and his family, his actual inheritors still had a lot of money that was left behind uh, for them, even though radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he spent so much in the path of Allah. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, uh, rahimakallah, May Allah have mercy on you, Abu Muhammad. You attained the goodness of the world, but you overcame its ghurur, you overcame its deception. You were never deluded by this world. And I want to end with this hadith uh, from the Prophet وسلم, as we go into Ramadan. Rasulullah said, shakir, that the one who eats and is grateful is like a sa'im as sabr, is the same like bimanzilati sa'im as sabr, is just like a person who fasts and is patient, meaning a person who is grateful and they have is just like a person who is restrained and, and they're patient. Because it's the same thing that inspires gratitude, that inspires patience. And that's that connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that helps you see through all ease and through all hardship, right? That you should remain connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to address actually one narration that's a very common narration that gets quoted about Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that is that Aisha radiallahu anha said that I heard the Prophet say that Abdurrahman ibn Awf would enter into Jannah habwan, uh, crawling. And that Abdurrahman ibn Awf cried and he said, you know, uh, but, but I want to enter Jannah standing. I want to enter Jannah up front. And subhanAllah, this is a very common 
uh, narration that's quoted in the books. And, uh, you know, doing, uh, you know, just a little bit of research on it, it seems like there's really nothing uh, that is authentic whatsoever about this. The lesson, obviously, that's usually used in, in the books is what the Prophet ﷺ said, that the poor would enter into Jannah hundreds of years before the rich, because of all of the accounting that has to be done of the wealthy. And so they say this is what it meant with Abdurrahman ibn Awf But uh, as I said with Abu Ubaidah though we don't scrutinize narrations when it comes to seerah the same way we do a hadith, uh, when there is something that just seems very contradictory or seems out of place, then it is important to scrutinize. And so there's nothing authentic that says that Abdurrahman ibn Awf will enter Jannah crawling or behind or anything like that. Rather, what we see is that he is from a sabiqun al-awwalun and he shows us, he shows us that your wealth does not have to become a distraction between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does not have to hold you back. Rather, if you are generous and grateful that you will have that position with Allah and with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, May Allah be pleased with him and all that he gave uh, to this ummah. And I'll end with one narration actually that connects him to Abu Ubaidah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that is that he was known as the Amin of Nisa'i Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The trustworthy one upon the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is narrated by Az-Zubayr ibn Bakkar. Kana Abdurrahman ibn Awfin amina Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala nisa'i. He was the one entrusted with the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Abu Ubaidah radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the amin of this ummah. So you see this, this beautiful distinction that's given to him. And surely we benefit from him until today. And we ask Allah to, to make that from uh, their good deeds. And a reminder to everyone, we look forward to being with you for Ramadan. We still have some programs to go, inshallah ta'ala, before Ramadan. But please do, inshallah ta'ala, as you learn about this great Sahabi who is distinguished with his sadaqah, greet Ramadan with sadaqah, inshallah ta'ala, and sign up at the link below. Jazakumullah khairan. I'll see you for the Ramadan series and then we'll restart the first, inshallah ta'ala, after Ramadan. Barakallahu feekum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.